the Oxfordshire News Podcast from Jack FM, digging deeper into the stories that matter to Oxfordshire. Hi, Joe here from the news team at Jack. It's Leisha here too. And I'm Emma. All this week, we've been speaking to a mix of people from all different industries in Oxfordshire about Freedom Day. Here's a little taster of what's coming up in this episode. Naturally, I'm absolutely delighted that, you know, after all this time, we stand a chance of actually getting people in to see some live music again. Music is very, very important. It's something that cheers you up when you're sad. It's very important to recognise that we are still in the third wave, as we've been told by the scientists. Hopefully, the guidance that comes through from the government will reflect that schools and colleges are also workplaces. We're not going to force people to come back, and actually, by far and away, people have said they're quite happy to work from home going forward. I think we would all love the old days of that open door policy and freedom of people coming in, but I don't think that's realistic and I think it's going to be a very slow and cautious step forward for us. We want to do the right thing. What we want is clarity. This uncertainty over face coverings is is causing us a problem. In there, you've got a local business owner, a school teacher, a bus company boss, a care home owner and a venue promoter. They all had completely different opinions on the announcement from Boris Johnson earlier this week about the end of restrictions on July 19th. From face coverings to social distancing, working from home to care home visiting, we've covered it all in this podcast, where you'll also hear from a local artist who's gearing up for live gigging, an Oxford nightclub and a GP from Ensham. First up, let's hear some more from Mark Cunningham, who's the promoter for The North Court, a live music venue in Abingdon, which has been shut for the majority of the pandemic. He told me that he's considering keeping masks mandatory for audiences after Freedom Day. Despite, you know, uh, how how fabulous these vaccines are, they are not absolutely 100% effective. You know, it's that that there is still a small number of people who could could get harmed um, despite the best of intentions of, of, you know, preventative measures being put in place by us or by having had a a double dose of the vaccine or indeed even, even, even wearing face masks. It's, it's going to be a very difficult balancing act and just dumping everything in the, in the lap of the individual can leave things open to some difficulties, especially as we've seen, you know, during the football. You know, people get a few drinks inside of them and they get really happy because something fabulous is happening. And, and before you know it, everybody's hugging and jumping up and down and, and any kind of idea of any social distancing has gone to hell in a basket. It's going to make it difficult, though, for you, isn't it, Mark? Because if you do say, actually, for the North Court, we're going to keep face masks for the time being, you're, you're likely to get some people that aren't very happy with that, aren't you? That's very likely. So, I'm, you know, I'm, that's why I'm considering things very carefully. I haven't come to my final decision on the matter. A, 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 perhaps a good example, a large charity event that, that I'm doing um, that was intended to be the 2nd and 3rd of July, but we had to postpone it because, of course, restrictions weren't lifted. That's now going to be in August on the 13th and 14th. And I'm requiring that people have a negative lateral flow test in the 48-hour period before they show up for the gigs. As much as I want everybody to have a great time, I've also got a duty of care for the people who are, who are coming along. And also, if you had a situation where maybe there was a COVID case or even multiple cases at your venue, that potentially means more time having to shut down or more money having to clean. And you've got to protect the business as well, haven't you? Well, that, that's exactly right. And, and, and let's face it, we've pretty much been shut for 18 months. And yes, we've had uh, help in terms of we've been able to furlough the staff so that they've been getting paid. 
other than my, my techie staff, actually, because they're all typically as right across this industry, my sound man and, and, and my lighting guy, they're both self-employed. Once this, this kicks off, you know, I, I'm desperate to try and put some money in their pockets so they can pay their mortgage. You know, it, it's, um, it's a really difficult balancing act, this one. It really is. I can't wait to get back to see live music and experience live music. And I think that if, you know, if it means wearing a mask to enjoy it, then so be it. But what do you think as well about social distancing and the fact that people are going to be right next to each other, potentially sort of crushed in or crammed in at the front sometimes, aren't they? That's going to be uh, something that, that I think is is unavoidable at some of these bigger events. I, I think for something like perhaps, you know, like, for example, the, the new theatre in Oxford, where it, it's a seated uh, venue, the, the whole thing is, is a lot easier to police and they can look at their at their numbers and still make a profit because of the size of venue that they're talking about. It is the smaller ones where, where, where I think that's going to be more of an issue or indeed a festival kind of situation where... With people being in you know that kind of close proximity, uh, th- th- there's not too much you can do, you can you can do about it really. Um, all you can do is is really hope for the best. I, I I'm loath to say that anything other than it's absolutely you know fabulous that that we're going to get people watching music and and listening to music again. But there are issues that people need to think about here. Of course, and I'm going to be having a chat in a little while with Davy Dodds. Tell me a bit about your kind of feelings, obviously, on what this will mean. You know, having this date of July 19th, that everything can go back to pretty much normal and what that will mean for the people that have been waiting to perform and to play at your venue. Oh, I, I, I know the musicians have been straining at the bit. They're desperate to play and some of them have really suffered. My heart goes out to them. I happen to know Davey. He's recorded an album during lockdown. And of course, the, the, there are expenses, you know, in, involved in that. And in, in order to pay back those and, and indeed just to pay the, the normal kind of overheads that people have, you know, mortgages, food, all the usual kinds of stuff that we all have, he has to gig. That's how he earns a living. That's how all musicians, you know, earn a living. I mean, I personally have, have got, you know, a few bands that I have had to postpone four times in the last 18 months. These are people that, that, that need to earn a living. Mark Cunningham from the North Court, who says he is desperate for performers and support staff to get a steady income again. He also mentioned Davy Dodds, a musician from the Cotswolds, who's actually got a gig coming up at the North Court in a few months' time. Let's hear from him now. Next Friday, for instance, I was due to be the the main thing at um, Gone to Earth Festival at, in Suffolk. Yesterday, that event was cancelled. I know a chap who runs a, a, a fairly substantial record label and he's just put everything on hold in that there's little point in his view in producing uh, CDs and spending the money on doing that with bands when the sales potential has just been completely blown away. I've been fortunate in that I've had some income from uh, song royalties and stuff being played on the radio and television and the like, and great. But people who just rely on live gigging income, that has just stopped. Some people, it's caused very, very serious financial problems for people who run music venues. Of course. And I wondered as well what you thought. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk now this week about 
what will come with Freedom Day on the 19th, which is the end of social distancing and masks. And how do you feel about that? Do you think it's the right time? And do you think it will help boost, you know, numbers at your live gigs and tours? There are some people who are desperate to get back to being alive. I would count myself as one of those. I want to be able to make music. I want to put that on a stage and blow people's socks off at festivals, and I want a good-sized audience in front of me enjoying it. That might be my fairly selfish standpoint. I realise also that there are other people who have just lost all confidence with going out. Um, I think we ought to be sensible and careful and considerate to one another with potential health risks. But I also think that things have reached a point where there's not a lot of point to being alive if all you do is hide under underneath a rock. Yeah, very good point. And um, I spoke to Mark at the North Court a little bit earlier on about what he was planning for the venue. And actually, he said he is considering whether even though mask wearing, you know, won't be compulsory anymore after the 19th, he is considering whether he wants to keep it in place for a little while at his venue. And I wondered what you thought of that. I think it's a case of getting the balance right. There are quite a lot of people who would feel more comfortable if going into the venue than getting to their bubble, say, that masks were part of that but then would be happy to unmask when they were in that fixed space in front of the stage. It does make playing gigs feel quite strange. My band, we play some pretty riotous, kelty, jig, reel, quite heavy rock music, and uh, it definitely works better when people can stand up and dance. I'm really looking forward to playing some gigs in August and September, some festivals where we can make that proper connection with an audience. So musician David Dodds would like to see an end to all restrictions, but there's mixed views on that front. Earlier this week, more than 100 scientists and doctors, including a handful from Oxford, signed a letter urging the government to reconsider its plans to abandon all coronavirus restrictions. Engine doctor Amar Latif told me he thinks a more cautious approach is needed. I think it's fairly worrying, particularly given that there's a steep rise in cases uh, in Oxford and Oxford City specifically. Um, and uh, I think it would be more prudent uh, for the government to take a slightly more cautious approach um, in uh, waiting to see how things are over the next week or two and how they pan out before making a final decision. Uh, we have seen it over the pandemic that the government has got the timing of uh, lifting of restrictions wrong. Um, and uh, in the past, they've either uh, brought in restrictions too late. Uh, and uh, we've seen that probably we've had a longer uh, pandemic than we uh, ought to have done. Uh, the NHS, of which um, uh, the uh, staff at Ensham uh, have been an integral part of the vaccine programme, have done an amazing job at getting so many patients vaccinated. And the last thing we want is um, for all that good work to be undone uh, by uh, decisions being made uh, too quickly. What in particular then are you concerned about? Well, I think the there's uh, a loss of nuance really to see what the uh, how the cases may transpire. We, we are fairly 
um, uh, thankful that over the last uh, six months due to the vaccine program that actually there, there does seem to be uh, a weakening of the link between cases and hospitalization. Uh, but the fact is there's still a large proportion of the population that haven't been vaccinated fully yet. They've not had the opportunity to have their second vaccine. And so it unfairly disadvantages uh, many people. And, on, and further to that, there are many people who unfortunately for health reasons can't have the vaccine um, or haven't been able to have the second one. And again, this uh, puts... Uh, them in difficult positions. Uh, and, and I think lifting off all restrictions is probably a step too far. And certainly um, the wearing of masks, we know, has made a big difference. And that sort of restriction, which people have generally become accustomed to over the last 16 months, would probably be sensible to keep in place. And then in addition to that, making sure that um, uh, we have uh, better guidance on ventilation and when to ensure that different um, areas are ventilated. We know that this is a condition that, uh, or, or a virus that spreads more inside um, and in crowded places. And it sounds, it seems like the wrong time really to increase uh, the coming together of people in inside spaces. Will you be changing anything from the 19th of July? I'll continue to wear a mask because I think uh, it's important for those around me. Um, uh, as, a, as a GP, um, I often see vulnerable patients and I need to um, help protect them. If anything, I think the, the government's lifting and I think this is the way in which it may backfire is that I think some people will end up being more cautious so actually, I probably uh, won't go out to um, some of the shops for the first couple of weeks. I will um, almost certainly not go out to uh, indoor spaces like restaurants um, until it becomes more obvious what the uh, what's happening with cases, um, not just across the country, but in Oxford. And then from there, we'll have a better understanding of actually how our businesses are adapting with, in line with the new rules. And I think if... Uh, there will be a group of uh, people who, if there are uh, a complete lifting of restrictions, uh, unfortunately, they, they may well not visit certain um, establishments. And that would be a great shame to undo the progress that we've made uh, over the last few months. Oxford GP Amal Latif there. He says he'll still be wearing his mask come July 19th. And so will Jane Roberts. She runs the Rosebank Care Home in Bampton and the Churchfields one in Cassington. And she says they won't be changing anything immediately after Freedom Day. It's important to remember if viruses come into our care homes um, rather than the other way around. So as we move forward after Freedom Day, we'll be, we'll be using the same uh, principles and common sense approach that we've carried on using for the last year. Um, and that is, you know, looking at what the rates are doing in our community, uh, looking at what's happening within our homes. And we were very fortunate that all our staff and residents are double vaccinated. What we will continue doing is following the good practice that we've implemented for some time now. And for us in the short term, and probably for some time now, I think we will continue with our masks, wearing of masks and PPE. Uh, but what we will most absolutely be continuing is very rigorous testing. Um, you may be aware that we do testing of all staff and our residents up to three times a week. Uh, and that has been invaluable in helping us monitor the situation in our care homes at any time. I mean, what you've just said is, isn't surprising to me, really, because obviously we all remember how things looked and what happened in care homes during the first yeah. wave, especially. And there just can't be a repeat of that, can there? No.
they can't. And we are very conscious that the winter um, is going to be extremely difficult for the country in that we know there's going to be more outbreaks of COVID. Um, and in particular, um, what we're aware of in the medical field is that the influenza virus is going to be um, more difficult to manage this winter as well. It was very suppressed um, last year around the world and therefore our flu vaccine uh, may or may not be quite as effective as it was um, previous, in previous years. So we know that. Um, but we enter, I think in our care homes, we enter the winter confidently. We have the policies and procedures in place. We have lots of PPE. We have testing available. Um, and I've got a well-trained and experienced workforce. So we know it's going to have its challenges but we're kind of prepared for them as best we can be. Continuing with masks and PPE does sound very sensible. And what do you sort of envisage happening with family and friends, relatives being able to visit their loved ones in care homes? Because obviously there's still big restrictions on that. Do you think they will have to continue? I think we would all love to have the old days of that open door policy and freedom of people coming in as much as much as they liked. But I don't, I don't think that's realistic. And I think it's going to be a very slow and cautious step forward for us. We are opening up. We do have family having visits. Our, our residents are going out with families. They are going back to their houses to have Sunday lunch. Um, they can stay overnight if they want to. So there is life. There is plenty of access and plenty of life. We're a people organisation. Closing our door was so hard for us in our care homes all that time ago. But actually opening them up again, we've just got to be sensible and cautious. And the days where we would have, you know, an extra 50, literally 50 relatives wandering through the home or other healthcare professionals, I, d- I think at the moment our families might not want to see that. It sounds like for care homes, really, some of the changes that have been implemented during the pandemic might be here to stay for good, do you think? Some of the best practices, um, as in I think we're much more sensitive and aware of anybody getting a small infection um, in the sense that that's as much as our families and our staff. You know, people previously came to work uh, and came in visiting, you know, if they had a cough or a cold or, you know, uh, a cold symptom. And I think those days will go. Um, I think people will be much more sensitive to that and sensible. Um, I think... The excessive hand, you know, the essential hand washing that we've been doing is, uh, will continue the, some part of social distancing and best practice. And I think that will be very good for us as our staff enter into, you know, the flu and influenza season as well as the COVID. Now from care homes to nightclubs. Yeah, so for some, the prospect of a packed nightclub is a concern. I caught up with Zach from Thirst Bar in Oxford to see what he's got in store for the big reopening. We are just getting the ball rolling on rewriting all our business plans and everything because we've had to change how we operate so much. So it's going to be it's going to be good to actually do what we know after two and a half years, three years almost of, um, you know, being closed, reopening under different guises, serving food, which we never were used to, things that we've had to do just to keep cash flow going. What's it going to look like with the reopening? Is it going to be exactly as you was before? Is there any, is there Um, still anything implemented for social distancing? Initially, we're going to go with uh, the table service just because we found it fairly easy, uh, a lot easier to manage. You know, it's easier to train waiters than bartenders we can push out the same amount of drinks with less bartenders and without having to trade, uh, without having to spend months and months on trading like one member member of staff. 
And then anything like masks, are you are you encouraging anyone or punters to still be wearing them or any um, of your staff? Well, once it's uh, no longer a requirement, I think um, the staff, if they if they want to, I myself will be wearing a mask because I, I live with somebody who's high risk just to be safe. You know, I know that they're vaccinated and everything, but, you know, we have kids coming into the house and everything like that. So I just I want to play it safe. I'm, I know I'll be wearing a mask and the staff will be, you know, rather than us forcing them to wear masks. I know a couple of them who uh, don't particularly like it. So I'm sure they'll be they'll be very happy to get rid of those masks because <laughs> they find them very stifling. What do you think about demand? Obviously, when you do have your dance floor back in, do you think people are going to be a lot more inclined to come out? So the initial, when we came out of lockdown, we saw a massive flux in the first week where everyone had obviously missed being out. So everyone came out, regardless of whether they had work the next day or not. And then I think we'll see a very similar kind of flex in the first few days, um, the first week, where everyone who's missed normality and like dancing and you know having djs and loud music because we, we've only been able to play incidental music so it's just very much background noise you know without so the rule was that it has to be at like a conversation level yeah. so i think everyone's going to be quite excited to get their dancing shoes on and initially we will see that flux in the first week for sure I don't know if you've seen, but in Oxford, we've been reading this morning that cases are, are going up quite high. Are you worried about yeah. it spreading without so much social distancing? Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I mean, I, I don't want to make these decisions for Boris, but I personally, I would have held off a little bit just because I, the way I see the numbers going, because we've had it for so long now, we're, we're used to this way of operating now. I don't see the need to rush into any rash decisions because the last thing any one of us wants is another lockdown. So another cautious approach to the end of lockdown for Thirst Bar in Oxford. Now, there's been lots of talk this week about what should happen when it comes to public transport and whether voluntary mask wearing is the best way to go. I spoke to Phil Southall, the boss of the Oxford bus company, about what he thinks the rules should be for drivers and the public. I think the uh, removal of social distancing is to be welcomed because that means buses can play their full role in recovery of our towns and city centres and encourage more people uh, back onto the bus. So, so that's the positive news. I think the thing we're more concerned about is the confusing messaging on face coverings because what that's doing, because it's a personal choice now, it is in effect passing the book to bus operators to manage and unfortunately our colleagues who are on the front line will have to manage that conflict so it will create an environment where you know where a customer might not be wearing a face covering another customer might complain to the driver and and therefore we're putting our um, frontline colleagues into an unfortunate situation what we would really like to see is the government saying what what the science is telling them so if the science is saying that face coverings are required in uh, enclosed spaces. It should apply to not just public transport, but to other um, enclosed internal areas as well. So it's a level playing field and public transport isn't stigmatised. Um, if they're not required, and that's what the science is saying, then there shouldn't be any advice in place um, to say that um, they should be worn. Um, so because we've got this middle-of-the-road situation, I believe it's creating some confusion that's going to cause conflict that our drivers in particular will have to manage. Yeah, that's really difficult. And obviously, we're seeing a surge in cases in Oxford. 
Will your staff be wearing masks? Will you be encouraging them to? Or do you know if your staff feel maybe worried? About... Our driver colleagues are protected behind a COVID security screen anyway. So that protects them um, from customers um, or any interactions between customers and drivers. They are protected. Um, we do give our drivers a choice to wear um, face coverings if they wish to, but they don't need to because they are um, exempt from doing that because they're behind a screen. Our, our drivers are obviously concerned about the, the, the development, but in terms of their own protection, the security screens uh, are going to remain in place as they have done throughout the pandemic. We want to do the right thing. We have uh, made public transport safe throughout this pandemic and, and what we want is, is, is clarity, clarity and, and positivity for our customers. This uncertainty over face coverings is, is causing us a problem and that's why we're hoping to get greater clarity on whether they will be required um, in all enclosed public spaces uh, or not. Sir Chancellor Rishi Sunak has stressed the benefits of getting back to the workplace when coronavirus restrictions lift. The order to work from home is expected to be scrapped on July 19th in England. But will people actually be going back to the office or are they pretty content staying in their makeshift kitchen offices? Let's see what Neil Lawson-Smith from Computing Information Systems in Farringdon is planning. We've transitioned to a fully distributed model. That means that everyone works from home uh, with a sort of degree of flexible hours. And actually, it's not been too bad at all. So we've had the government's announcement about the 19th of July and people being encouraged to get back to the office. What's going to happen at yours? Well, this is the interesting thing. We thought we'd all be coming back together as a, as a team, and we'd miss uh, not seeing each other. But we held a ballot with our staff. We've got about 25 staff. And by far away, the majority, about 21 of them said, actually, they have made such changes at home, and that included converting spare bedrooms, uh, even some building uh, at their garages and, and making them into home offices. But, but now they'd rather stay at home, that they've made that that big leap and feel very comfortable and that the flexibility they've got to walk the dog, uh, do a bit of gardening and have all that flexibility while doing their work. Actually, they'd rather stay at home. So we've actually now decided that we're going to have an office about a third of the size uh, and we're going to have a, a hot desking uh, online booking system for our desks, a bit like as if you book for a cinema ticket. And you can come and have a bit of social time if you want to go and work with some colleagues or just get away from the house for, for a change of scenery. But we're not going to force people to come back. And actually, by far and away, people have said they're quite happy to work from home going forward. So, so that makes us real, feel real comfortable. I think the only challenge is left for us now is about how we keep that uh, social employee uh, engagement going and we're doing that with away days and the events so we're always looking for, for things now that bring our team together at the weekends and in fact we've got our first uh, full away day at Alton Towers for ourselves and our, our staff and their families because everyone's made a big change here uh, in September so we're looking to to use that uh, and the savings that we've made to, um, to, to have more organised events like that. With regards to the hot desking, why are you wanting to still give your staff that option? Some people, uh, they just don't have the space at home. Uh, they've been working perhaps off a kitchen table more so than having a spare bedroom. So they, it just encroaches into their, their home life. So it, this gives them the option for those that don't have the spare room to come into the office and have a base to work from. Some people actually want to come in and we uh, just have a change of scenery that they'd like to have a little bit of social interaction for, for a little while. And in some cases, some of the work means that we actually want to get together and work and train 
trained, because we still have to train people, uh, it gives us a chance to get together and to pass on some of that expertise. So sometimes you just can't avoid it. But we just don't need as much space or desking as we used to. So it looks like the future is hybrid, more flexible working for Neil Lawson-Smith and his team at Computing Information Systems in Farringdon. Finally, we're going to share a clip with you of Oxford school teacher Michelle Codrington-Rogers. I spoke to her after it was revealed that school bubbles are coming to an end, but we also asked her what she was planning to do when it came to covering her face in the classroom after July the 19th. As an individual teacher, I will be taking on board what the Prime Minister said about um, individual choice and I will be making choices to ensure that I feel safe within my workplace. And let's not forget schools and workplaces for hundreds of thousands of adults across the country. So I will be taking the measures that I I will need to do to to make sure I feel safe um, within my workplace and follow the guidance that my school um, implements for staff. And what about children? Do you know if they maybe would feel nervous not wearing masks? I think a school policy that takes on board that children and young people can also make those decisions um, and their families and carers can and make those decisions for them as well to kind of alleviate any worry or, or stress they may have, I think needs to be reflected in the risk assessment. And so schools should um, provide a space for children and young people to, again, take the mitigating um, steps that they need to take to make sure that they feel safe and hopefully working with Oxfordshire County Council and the public health team for Oxfordshire will be able to communicate to schools how to provide a space where children and young people as well as employees and schools feel safe and that you know as always we'll wait to see what the actual guidance is that comes through from the government. It's very important to recognise that we are still in the third wave, as we've been told by the scientists. Hopefully, the guidance that comes through from the government will reflect that schools and colleges are also workplaces and that there is a duty of care by the employer. And in this case, in state schools, the employer is the government. So not long now until music festivals can restart and you can dance at weddings again. You'll be able to walk up to a bar in a pub and actually get served there. Oh, and you won't have to scan a QR code when you go in. Same for gyms and restaurants too. But of course, whether venues or businesses decide to keep some of the COVID restrictions will be down to them. So I don't think we can wave goodbye to the new normal just yet.